this week's episode of Floor 9. That is some intro music. And it's brand new this year. Didn't get to say it in the last episode, so very excited that we have this. Uh, thank you all for the feedback on that, and I'm glad everybody seems to enjoy it so far. But before we dive into this episode, let me give you a quick background on the lab and what we do here on Floor 9. The IPG Media Lab is a specialized group dedicated to innovation working across the interpublic network. For over a decade, we've been evaluating new technology, identifying how it changes consumer behavior and media consumptions, and providing our clients with actionable insights to help navigate the ever-evolving media landscape. So welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Floor 9. So I am your host, Scott Elderson, and joined with me today is Angel Mendoza. Hello, world. Adam Simon. Hello. And Christina Andron-Lay. Did I get it right? Is that cool? Close enough. Close enough? All right. Excellent. I love it. Adam, I'm shaking my head. That, that's fine. That's shaking, shaking your head? Yeah, his head. I'm shaking your head. Yeah, you're shaking my head. <laughs> uh, so this week is a very special episode of Thor 9. We are going to be talking about the lab's 2018 outlook. Uh, each year, the lab puts out an outlook, kind of overviewing the major trends that we see emerging that, that we think are going to be very important for brands to pay attention to in 2000, uh, well, this year, 2018, but you know, every year we do this. Uh, so Adam, you know, and I would say in 60 seconds, you know, what, what is the outlook and why do we put it out every year? Uh, yeah. I mean, the outlook is what we think are sort of newly important uh, for brands to look at, newly important trends for brands to look at. We're looking at what's happening with our major technology companies, um, as well as uh, consumer behavior, and trying to help brands navigate uh, all those changes that happen uh, over the course of the year. Excellent. Before we dive into this year's trends, let us take a look at how we got here. So Adam, do you want to Give us a quick overview of how we got here and a little section you're called calling um, the end of the beginning. Yeah, so every year we like to have sort of an overarching master theme of uh, that groups together, sort of covers all of the trends, um, and is really our guiding principle. And uh, this year we're, we're focused, uh, we're calling it the end of the beginning. Uh, and by that we mean uh, the end of the beginning phase of the internet. Uh, that basically we're at a point in our culture and our in our technolo- technological development that um, you know there's no difference between online and offline. Um, all of those things are sort of conflating and collapsing in, in, in on each other. Um, and that really starts from uh, a few things in the past year or so. Uh, one being Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods, which has nothing to do with technology, but obviously is driven by a major technology company. Um, another one is uh, Disney's acquisition of a lot of the assets of from Fox, which would, uh, if approved, will consolidate a lot of the entertainment industry and is really a great, interesting move by a legacy brand to keep, uh, keep up and uh, stay competitive in a market that's being increasingly driven by streaming. Um, and then the other thing is uh, just uh, you know a toss back to uh, the 2016 election, which obviously, even though that happened, um, uh, you know, o- almost over well over a year ago at this point, um, obviously the way that social media played a part in that election was is something that is impossible to ignore. Um, so just all of the boundaries between online and offline, any any time that, that enters your mind, it's time to stop thinking about it that way. The internet is dri- uh, the, the driving force of the global economy at this point. Yes, and I would say the I think we named Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple as uh, the four big ones that are really uh, transforming the global economy today. Uh, you wouldn't think it when they first started out, but they're making waves that are affecting all parts of the world. 
Yeah, what? they're they're so big and they have so much influence that um, pretty much every other company is swimming in their wake and is impacted by changes they make to their platforms and changes they make to their policies. We just saw this last week when Facebook announced uh, more changes to the newsfeed and just decimated the stock of a lot of uh, publications because everyone's anticipating it being harder for them to um, compete on Facebook. In contrast, the New York Times actually went up because they see they're they're going to be pri- privileging trusted news, and I guess people. Uh, Still, can, still uh, equates the New York Times with trusted news at this point. So I, it, it's just that it, they're affecting every industry, and if they're not directly affecting your industry yet, it's a well, they might be tomorrow, as we saw with Amazon and Whole Foods. Do you see any other companies like outside that circle that might be included? So I have two in mind: one being Netflix, and then the other is Nvidia, especially what they're doing in the gaming PC industry, but also what they're doing in the auto industry with autonomous driving. Yeah, I think those are both actually super interesting examples. Netflix is the one that is sort of, I think, big and influential, and yet is not uh, included on that list. And the reason that, uh, in my mind, they're not part of that is they are changing an industry, but they're changing one industry. What Netflix is doing is not ever going to affect how we buy prescription drugs. <laughs> like, uh, yes, Netflix doesn't have advertising, and that does obviously affect all brands that um, use uh, television advertising as Netflix grows, but they're pretty constrained to one industry. Um, I think that NVIDIA, I hadn't thought of them before, but I think they probably fall into a similar camp. NVIDIA is like Intel, and, and I think they, NVIDIA probably is the modern Intel in a lot of ways for, for newer technologies beyond desktop and laptop computers. But I don't know that they're, it's, it's again, it's like it, they're an enabling technology for a lot of these things that are happening. Same, same thing with like um, ARM, uh, ARM Holdings that um, you know makes, uh, designs the, the chips that uh, are licensed for a lot of our devices. They're an enabling technology, but they're not, again, going across the border and suddenly change how grocery shopping happens. <laughs> um, so I think that that's, that's the one difference, is that all four of these companies tend to work across industries and affect how those industries operate. Um, And I think that, for me, that's the one defining point, in that any of these companies could somehow move into your industry and change how it works, pretty much without notice at this point. Well said. So I think we'll roll straight into our first 2018 Outlook trend. It is called, All Culture is Digital Culture. Adam, <laughs> I'm going to toss it back to you. Yeah. Do you want to give a quick overview of this section for our listeners? And I think this is this is part of the, um, the the cultural side of the end of the beginning is just that all of our culture is digital in one way, shape, or form. Um, you know, thinking about the the 2016 election, but then um, obviously uh, into. Um, other categories like what's happening in entertainment um, and uh, things like esports, the fact that uh, we basically are seeing a generational shift move from um, traditional sports to esports as sort of the primary interest in in competition and and, um, and sports in general, um, and then also things like um, augmented reality uh, on the horizon and over the next few years, um, that's going to increasingly blur the lines between the digital and the physical, and literally, you know, at the point where probably three ish years from now when we're wearing augmented reality glasses literally affect how you see the world so yeah excellent angel any comments on that christina thoughts i don't know how deep you want me to go into this outlook because i have some points i would love to throw out there especially with uh all cultures digital culture 
throw, do it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, throw it out there. So starting off, from what I saw last year was the rise of short-form news videos, specifically, and this goes to your point when it comes to the politics area. A lot of these videos are short-formed and optimized for social. So you have Cheddar, Now This, Snapchat Discover, even Bloomberg has a 24-hour stream on, on Twitter. So a lot of this news content is snackable, but also focused on millennials. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift in how content is delivered, for sure. And I think that that's news is, again, like an easy thing to point to, but it's happening in, in entertainment uh, as well. Um, there was just a new a thing that happened last night that Meg Whitman is joining Jeffrey Katzenberg's new um, short-form video startup. I, we've seen a lot of these with like big name, names attached to them before, so who knows if it'll work, but people keep trying, and one day someone's going to make uh, short-form scripted content that's really going to blow up, blow everything out of the water. Somebody will get it right at some point. Yeah, and I think in short form too, what's interesting is the news example you bring up has been the beneficiary of like such a cultural moment right now as it relates to news and as it relates to wanting to be up to speed on domestic policy in a way that I think is really unprecedented in history. I wonder if these companies are putting the foundational elements in place to be able to make this a sustainable business model and keep the readership when we don't have someone so newsworthy at the helm of our country. Um, so that's one point there. I think that's, that's super interesting. Like news has become an addictive uh, uh, medium for a lot of people just because of how much happens. In the, in the, it's crazy to think that they're like, you know, just 20 years ago, there wasn't even a 24 hour news cycle. And now it feels like so much happens every 24 hours that even if you're actively watching, you can't keep up. But it'll be interesting to see if we ever go back to the way that, you know, less news being available. Not My, not available, but like, feel like you don't have to consume as much constantly. Adam, to your point, it's not just, you know, news and politics, but it's also our sports. I, I, sports have traditionally been the linchpin of broadcast television and viewership. Uh, today, especially with esports' massive growth over the past few years, we've seen the introduction of Twitch, this live streaming platform where you can access it through your mobile device, your tablet, or your or your laptop. You know, no cable subscription needed. Um, we're seeing this generational shift in viewership to these new kinds of uh, sports that are online. You know, Overwatch League, League of Legends, these are all games that are played virtually. And, you know, this is something that most analysis can never imagine, and yet it's exactly the kind of cultural shift uh, that has been enabled uh, because of the internet. And, of course, we can't not talk about social media. Social media is this is this digital space where we're really seeing culture develop and have been uh, for, for, for many years. Uh, you know, whether it's through a tweet storm, Instagram post, you know, what is happening here has a rather substantial impact on our everyday lives and you could say the physical world. Uh, and for brands, you know, this, this is important to pay attention to uh, because they need to keep up what they need to keep up with what's happening in this digital space in order to truly really control their narratives. Uh, you know, previously, you know, years ago, uh, that was all controlled through, you know, standard uh, media publications. But now everybody has a platform to speak their mind and their voice. And uh, it's really imperative for a brand to understand, you know, how they are talked about, what is being talked about, so they can help influence and control uh, that narrative in the best way they can. And we can keep this moving straight into our second Outlook theme, titled Two Paths Ahead for Retail. And Adam, we're going to toss the <laughs> mic back to you as our guiding light on this one. So give us a brief overview of what this second trend in our, 2000, in our 2018 Outlook is. 
Yeah, so we're really looking at at retail as um, diverging into either highly differentiated uh, experiences or uh, super convenient experiences. And um, this is being driven by a lot of things. It's not everybody, you know, as we said in our episode on the retail apocalypse, quote unquote, everybody likes to blame Amazon for all of this. But uh, they are certainly, um, you know, um, a driving force on the convenience side and really probably um, at the head of the pack, I think everyone would say uh, in terms of. Um, making shopping ever more convenient. Um, obviously, it's starting with prime shipping and going into on-demand, but also things like Amazon Go, which they just opened to the public. But they're not. It's it's not. That's not really what's happening uh, exclusively. Um, it's not a- Amazon that's really driving a lot of these store closures. That has more complicated issues to do with um, financing and some bad management decisions that were being made. Yes. In the retail sector, a lot of a lot of <laughs> debt is coming to maturity in the next few years, like millions to one yeah. say billions of dollars of debt. Yeah. It, I think it just so happens that all of that is coincidentally happening at the same time as retail is going through these other transformations, which gives an interesting opportunity to newer retail uh, retailers to actually re-envision what it means to to be selling in the in the 21st century. So the convenience is one side, the other side is differentiation and that could be differentiation around products which we see um, with uh, you know companies like Apple or Bonobos um, or you know companies that have their own first party stores. It can also be experience. Bonobos is another great example of like a high quality experience in a store where you, they really bring that sort of personal shopping down to the level of um, sort of mid-tier premium clothing. Um, also American Girl as a client and also one that I always like to cite because their stores are um, incredibly big for, for the amount of products that they carry, but they're really designed around delivering a top-tier experience that you can't get from like a Toys R Us or a Target. So it can be experience, it can be products, um, it can be how you how you shop and how you how you um, pay. There's lots of different ways to sort of differentiate there. The one thing that we we want to call out is price is something that uh, obviously you can differentiate on price, but. Our, our thought is that that's actually not sustainable in the long run when you're competing with um, someone like Amazon who can, uh, and, and even even not even Amazon themselves, but sometimes third-party sellers on Amazon who can come in and undercut you on price. Price is a great way to differentiate in the short term to get get a lot of consumers' attention, but in the long run, you have to dif- differentiate on more on the experience or the product side if you really want to keep those customers. Where does customer service fall into that? I would say that probably is more on the experience side. It's one of those things that crosses both a little bit. Um, I, I would say it falls on the convenience side in the sense of if you know it's super easy to return something, like um, especially for online orders, right? We're seeing increasing numbers of online merchants, you know, innovating in how to get returns back to them. I think that's something that's more on the convenience side. But uh, I think it, if if it's more on the sales floor, um, like on the Bonobos example, then I, I would put that more on the experience side. And I think the point here really is just to understand your business model and pick the one that that fits best with with your products. And your consumers. And your consumers, yeah. I have a burning question for you two. What side are you guys on? Convenience or or high-end or convenience? So to jump in quickly there, Angel, we aren't asking if it's a high-end versus convenience, but we're asking about experience versus convenience. Uh, Because experience-driven retail doesn't necessarily equal high-end, and saying that would imply convenience-driven retail by comparison is a low-end, which is definitely not true in in this case. So with that, Christina, what do you prefer more? Are you leaning towards convenience? Do you lean towards uh, experiences? Uh, 
I personally, so I think as of late, I have not really liked having to interact with a store associate um, unless I want to, and then I want them to be there and not be tending to five other customers. Um, I had a great experience in a Reformation store. It's down in Nolita. They don't have that many store associates in there, but the store experience was incredible and uh, extremely differentiated. You walk in, and it looks like someone's beautiful, modern apartment. There aren't racks of clothes. There are just samples they put out, and it's beautifully decorated. And as I go through, people, the associates can see what I look at, and they'll get my sizes from the stock room in the back and put them in my dressing room. And then I'm in the dressing room, and I can pick what sizes I need or if I want different colors, and they'll automatically bring it to me and load it into my... So. All to say, I think for me as a consumer, I think, yes, convenience to me is table stakes now. I don't think that's a differentiating experience at all. I think a lot of it has to do with Amazon. But I think if I don't get two-day shipping and it's not free, I think that's, I will take my business elsewhere. But to me, what increases my willingness to pay for a product or service is differentiation and curation mm. and a point of view. Adam, I'm looking at you. I think I think it, for me the differentiation depends a lot on the category. Um, there are some things that I would definitely prefer a differentiated experience, but in general I lean towards convenience over everything else. Um, it's just I'm, I'm it's something I'm, and I think that it's easy to conflate convenience with. Um, Low cost, but I am I'm a, I am actually willing to pay for convenience. I'm more willing to I'm willing to pay more money for something that I have to think less about. How am I going to get it? What what um, you know? Which exact product do I need? Which size do I need? It's like way easier if I don't. I'm willing to pay to not have to think about those things. Um, so I think yeah, for me that's the. And to your point, Adam, it's not just commodity products that use convenience. Uh, Kiehl's actually has a good example of convenience. They have a text service where you can text or replenish any products you need or want. Um, And they'll also auto replenish it and ask you and prompt you via text and uh, to reorder. And I think, you know, that's a luxury brand squarely in a more prestige category that recognizes how digitally native their customers are. That is super interesting, and I did not know about that because I actually almost just replaced a Kiehl's product with another brand because I was finding it uh, the idea of having to use their website, which I think is pretty bad, yes. um, was like enough to make me be like, maybe I'll just try another brand. <laughs> but now that I know that I can just text them, yeah. uh, that, that actually makes me more likely to go back to Kiehl's. So good work, Kiehl's. Um, which brings us into our third theme for the outlook in 2018, battle for the home. 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 The home. <coughs> the home. The home. The, oh, no. the, battle for the home. The Ben Hone. <laughs> ben, Ben's not on this podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's on none of them. <laughs> yeah, so again, I think we've seen, and this is one of the big trends that come out of CES, is that 2017, that was really the battle for the home assistant. You know, is that going to be Google Assistant? Is that going to be Alexa, our Dark Horse Siri, Bixie, whatever platform that might be? And we've seen two front runners, obviously, Amazon with Alexa, Google with their Google Assistants. Um, but as we really go into 2018, we're seeing more and more companies 
looking to win per se your different parts of the house whether that might be the kitchen the bathroom uh your front lawn there are now connected solutions that integrate one or all of these smart home assistants and uh it's really this this is the new battlefield really going in 2018 this could be a new platform um that a lot of these major companies are going to compete for because this is the most personal space that a consumer has and it's going to as we'll lead into it, we'll take a lot of brand trust for them to really open up, for a consumer to open up their home uh, to these big brands. But if they do, the uh, wealth of information that you can get is going to be uh, truly uh, astounding. It's going to create a whole new experience, and uh, I'm, I'm personally very excited for it. Uh, I have an Alexa in my house. It connects to my Sonos, and it's just, for me, that's just phenomenal. That's super fun. Um, but Adam, any com- any any comments on that? Did I? Uh, yeah, no, no did I, I do all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think <laughs> the only thing I want to call out is that um, everybody always talks about voice, like conflates voice digital digital voice assistants with the home, and there, it's definitely part of it, but it's not the only thing that matters in the home. Um, we have other devices in the home. We obviously have the TV. All of the major tech platforms have their own home assistants, but they also all have TV platforms, and they're integrated a little bit, but they're not super integrated, right? Like, we still haven't seen anybody really use the TV as that sort of, like, communal dashboard for your home. Like, even simple things like putting your family calendar on the TV when you're not using it for something else, or, like, the weather. Like, why can't I get widgets on my TV when the screensaver is on? You know, like, simple things like that, I'm expecting are going to start to pop up um, and sort of be part of this ecosystem play a little bit more. What we're really seeing is there's the TV. There's also wearable devices. Um, I think that uh, voice is important in the home because your phone's not always with you and also you're in a private space so you don't feel weird talking to things right um but uh the wearable devices especially the apple watch which is you know really the um only wearable device from the major platform players that has had any success uh also stands to be possibly important in the home um we saw some announcements from whirlpool that you can do things like check the how much time is left on your laundry just you know on your apple watch face that's the kind of thing that also seems kind of inevitable I mean, again, because your phone's not with you, your watch might actually be the most convenient screen. Um, And then also just uh, the ability to understand who is in the home at any given time. That's something that we're just barely scratching the surface of. No one yet is doing things like understanding, you know, who's upstairs and who's downstairs or who's in different rooms. And I think that that kind of presence is going to sort of play out as part of the ecosystem as well. So it's really the, the key here is really that the home has moved from being a sort of hodgepodge of all these different standards into being a platform that all of the tech platforms are looking at, which starts to open up possibilities for brands and starts to open up, um, depending on sort of which direction you go, and also possibilities for commerce. Amazon obviously is really driving the commerce conversation there uh, with Alexa. I think that is a perfect segue into our final 2018 Outlook theme, brand trust is consumer access. Christina, would you like to define for our listeners what this means? Yeah, absolutely. So as we see more and more health trackers and sleep trackers uh, and home devices in the market, uh, only those select brands will actually be granted access to those most private places. Um, And that's not just confidence in the product or service itself, uh, but also confidence in what that company stands for from uh, from an ethics and politics perspective. Yeah, and even that, the just to kind of go a, a bit further, was we're talking about the actual, let's say, algorithms that are powering uh, those product recommendations. Like, do you trust the company to accurately 
give you product recommendations or suggestions that are good for you? Like, are you going to trust that data uh, over, let's say, yourself going out there and finding it on your own? Yeah, it's funny. With voice, do you trust the algorithm to actually give you the best price of that product? Because there's no you, there's no screen, so how do you actually know? Yeah, do we trust the machines that we have in our lives? Right, exactly. And they're just going to get more and more and more of them all over the place. So, Also, um, be nice to the machines, because yeah, when they take it. over... Alexa, you got to say thank you, please, and thank you. <laughs> and when it comes to brand trust, I mean, do we think that the idea of brands really starting to take public stands on how they view issues is going to become more and more prevalent and important for brands to be doing? Yeah, <clears throat> this is something that we actually talked about, um, possibly including in the outlook last year, and didn't make it. And I think it's it's fine because it's only become more important. Um, we see um, time after time consumers want to know what their brands stand for outside of just the products and services they provide. Uh, we're we're seeing consumers ask brands to take political stances. Um, some brands are doing this themselves. And um, Patagonia, think, for example, that was a big one last yeah, year. Yeah, that, that awesome Patagonia um, uh, protest was uh, super interesting and obviously aligns with their core values directly. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, we're seeing consumers ask for it. And I think, uh, and, and if, if, if you don't provide it, uh, consumers will go find it, right? They'll, they will find out who your founders and your owners are donating to politically. They will find out where the... Um, the, the components that go into your product are sourced from. Like, all that information is <laughs> gets to be public one way or another. So really, at the end of the day, it's up to the brands to sort of make sure that that's all in line with the product vision they're selling. I think that's the thing that's that's changing, is there, there never used to be transparency. Consumers never used to be able to f- figure out where, where this stuff came from or who these people were and what they were doing in their, their personal lives. But now... Uh, it's all it's all coming out, <laughs> and, and as much as brand trust is about consumers sharing their own data with brands, it's also about brands sharing their what's going on behind the curtain with the consumers as well. I also see how you have to be careful or be mindful of how you act outside the office. So not only managing the company, but outside of it, that yeah. will have a greater impact on on a brand moving forward. Because like you guys mentioned, everything is out there nowadays. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, what's happening now is consumers are demanding you don't just talk the talk, you actually walk the walk and that your employees embody uh, the principles that you're putting out there. I think Uber is a really good example. Well said. So that was an introduction to the IPG Media Labs 2018 Outlook. By no means is is this going to be comprehensive. The Outlook is uh, meant to be read and we just can't cover the whole thing uh, within the short half an hour, 45 minutes that we have. Uh, So we'll be posting the full Outlook on our Medium blog. Uh, So definitely go check that out. And feel free to reach out to me directly, scott.elchison at ipglab.com. And with that, we'll let you drift off into the sweet, sweet sounds of Sunset Beach. Talk to you next time.